Growing your business is tough, but don't worry, we've got you covered. We interview industry experts on how they've solved their most challenging business problems in SaaS or e-commerce. No fluff, just step-by-step playbooks to help you dominate your market and crush the competition. This is the How We Solve podcast. Here's your host. Hey, it's GQ here with yet another episode on the How We Solve show. Today, I have with me Leslie Hensel, who is a partner with Riverbend Consulting, whose 50 plus employees solve critical problems and offer effective growth strategies for sellers on Amazon and other e-commerce platforms. Now, Leslie oversees Riverbend's client services team. She has also personally helped hundreds of third-party sellers get their suspended Amazon accounts and ASINs back up and running. Now, that's A-S-I-N. Leslie leverages two decades as a small business consultant and Amazon seller herself to address the underlying business issues in e-commerce operations, resulting in improved efficiency and profitability. Leslie, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me today. Oh, it's a pleasure. Now, before we dive into the meat of things, let's outline the problem. What are we looking to solve today? What we need to solve is that there are sellers who make a lot of mistakes, whether they're a brand or a third-party seller. They've made some big mistakes when they try to sell online that really limit their growth and their ability to succeed. So we're going to outline some of these biggest mistakes. And hopefully, if this is your first time or if you're currently a brand or a seller, you're going to avoid them because Leslie's going to share what we're going to do to avoid those steps. Now, the first step, what are some of the biggest mistakes and how do we go about solving? And we'll start with the first one. So the first one is limiting yourself to being on one platform. There are a lot of people who started out on a single platform and got really comfortable there, and then they never really graduated to selling to other platforms. So there are a lot of folks, for example, who sell on Amazon for good reason, because it's the biggest, it's the most powerful, it's the largest distribution network for a small business that you can easily access. But the problem Mm -hmm. is you can actually lose your Amazon account. You can be suspended from Amazon. And then that cash flow is completely cut off. So I'll give you an example. I knew a very large supplement seller on Amazon. They were doing tens of millions in sales per year and they were busted for manipulating the platform twice. And that is a two strikes and you're out of fence. And they didn't have any other ways to sell their product. So after they were suspended, they were literally left with millions of dollars of inventory sitting there and no way to get rid of it, no way to sell it. And a brand that they had built that was just dead in the water. Wow. And that is kind of like putting all your eggs in one basket, right? Like if you're fully all on Amazon and then you don't have anywhere else, and that's kind of like giving your keys away and like kind of expecting everything to run. So I'm curious, like we talked about Amazon. Do you think that's a reason why people are starting to shift towards being on Shopify, for example, Adobe Commerce and big commerce, et cetera? Absolutely. And even let's be old school and talk about eBay. There's Wayfair, there's Etsy. There are ways you can market the products you already sell on one of these platforms and you just have to tweak how you're selling them. You can make yourself look mom and pop and sell on Etsy. You can sell on Facebook Marketplace. You can sell on Walmart. There are so many different ways to do it. And I know it's really daunting because every new channel is more management that you have to do, right? It's more work. But as you figured these things out, last week I was talking to a seller who started selling his products on Etsy and he created like a bundle of something that Mm. he sells on Amazon to make it look a little more custom, like an Etsy product. 
And all of a sudden, 15% of his annual revenue is coming from Etsy. Oh, wow. Well, that's amazing. Because I think like maybe sellers, like when they first think of it and what you share was right, right? Like when I think about starting on a platform, most brands would think like, okay, let's focus on one platform. Let's like get really great at it and just like stick to that. And because it's working, nothing will ever break at this point, right? Are there right. any particular platforms that you'd recommend sellers to, to try starting with if it's a new brand that's coming out? So I do think it's really important to have a Shopify site if you do not already have some kind of e-commerce site of your own because mm -hmm. it really helps with SEO and it really helps with being able to run promotions and do things that you cannot effectively do on Amazon and other large platforms, but it mm -hmm. will boost your sales on Amazon and other large platforms when you do these things. So a Shopify site or something similar is very important. If you do large items, Wayfair is probably the way to go. If you're selling bigger things, heavier things or household mm -hmm. goods, that is an excellent place that there is some competition, but it's not crazy if you can really present your products really nicely. And then I know it sounds so silly but for beauty products for smaller items for things that cater to household or to women etsy can really be a fun way to go okay so we got some recommended platforms there but the most important being that you should always set up your own store at the start and i kind of like that like you mentioned that you have your own store so that way there's like a rollover effect i guess like that kind of basically helps your store in all the different marketplaces that you might be on or your actual e-commerce store itself so once a brand has figured out, okay, these are the platforms I'm going to be on, including my own e-commerce store, what's the next step? What's the next biggest mistake that we should avoid? You need to sell something no one else is selling. So back when Amazon was a little more the Wild West, which was just about 10 years ago, not that long ago, anyone could go to a retail store and you could buy stuff, retail arbitrage, right? You could buy yep. stuff and flip it on Amazon and you still can. People do it all the time, but especially at Christmas. It's a great place to flip, but there are a lot of competition on those listings. The prices get driven down. There's a race to the bottom. And sometimes there are people who will get a better deal than you at the buy and you will never be able to price lower than them. And you get stuck with inventory that you cannot sell for a profit. So a few different ways to do this. You can have your own private label products, of course, and you sell those in such a way that no one else compete, competes with you on your own listings because you're controlling distribution. Or mm -hmm. you make a deal with a manufacturer. You make a deal with a distributor where you have a special bundle or a special set. You have something you're selling on Amazon because let's face it, Amazon is still going to be the granddaddy for a long time. You've got <laughs> something you're selling on Amazon that no one else can go against that particular listing. It is just you. So there's a manufacturer of household cleaning products that I do some work for mm -hmm. at Riverbend. And they sell to all kinds of retail stores. They sell everywhere. You see their stuff in every Walmart, Target. They're all over the place. And they decided they were going to sell some of their products as a third-party seller in two packs, three packs, with a cleaning cloth, with some other added thing with their branding on it, so that they're the only people on that listing. No one else can get that UPC bundled. No one else can get that cleaning cloth with their brand name on it. 
And it really helps them to dominate those listings instead of having a bunch of retail arbitrage folks jump on. And I guess at some level, everyone's thinking of the unique, next unique product, right? Like, you know, sell someone something that no one else is selling. But what you just shared here, it's interesting because it's not just necessarily about the actual products, but it could also be about the packages or the, as you said, like the bundles that you sell that are exclusive to the platforms. There are really big sellers out there who do some fascinating things like repackaging candy into a certain box with their own branding on it and no one else can be on that listing. There are people who create bundles, like for example, if you could do a Superman bundle that is all the party supplies for a Superman party, and yep. then they have some of their own exclusive items that they put into the bundle along with things that you're going to find from it, a wholesaler or distributor, and then no one else can get on that particular bundle. And if someone does, it's really easy for them to file a complaint and get them taken down. Wow. <laughs> That's really amazing. I never thought about that like that before. So once you've established, we know where we're going to sell our products. We know the kind of storefronts or online storefronts rather and marketplaces. And now we've figured out not just original or relatively unique products, but we've also figured out themes or ways to package them. And I love the Superman bundle idea because that's very specific, right? So you have those bundles depending on the types of products you're selling. Well, what's the next step? What's the next mistake that we should avoid? A lot of sellers believe they will not need a big marketing budget if they sell online. They think that if they build it, the buyers will come. And there was a time 10 years ago, 15 years ago on Amazon, on eBay, on other big older platforms where you didn't have to have a big marketing budget to succeed, but advertising costs have gone up dramatically. And if you want to succeed on these marketplaces, at least when launching your products, you are going to need to invest in ads, in pay-per-click ads, in DSP ads. You've got to do something so that people will see your brand and be driven to it. So advertising really costs probably 50% more than you think it is going to. That's how much most people underestimate their marketing budget. So on Amazon, there are some really great strategies that you can use to try and offset by being kind of a first mover or by just doing a little more work that other people don't want to do. So for example, on Amazon, pay-per-click, if it gets out of reach, you could spend a lot of time on your listing, making it really beautiful. I know that sounds frivolous. It is not. If you really research your keywords, you write great copy, you optimize the listing, you have all those lifestyle photos. I'm sure you've seen that there are some listings that just have the product. Yep, and then there's yep. others that have like the beautiful lifestyle photos. Those work. They don't just work with buyers. The algorithm loves them. The algorithm also likes video ads and just product videos on your listing that show people using the product. Babies and dogs work really well, as trite <laughs> as it sounds. Babies and dogs are gold. And then also we help our clients get editorial recommendations. So that's like an alternative to traditional advertising that gets you on page one of search. So if you have great keywords, you have uh, optimized your listing, you have mm -hmm maybe a video that you can use in a video ad as well as just regular PPC and you get an editorial recommendation, all of a sudden you can be on the first page of search three or four times without breaking the bank. But if you put that same amount of money as you spent on those other things just in ads, it won't get you there. 
that makes a lot of sense because like it's a more diversified approach to your marketing budget, right? Because most people would think that, hey, let's just throw a lot of money at ads and like maybe have a video. Like you said, the lifestyle photos and all that, I think that that always makes sense. Everyone has to improve their listings, make it look as great as possible. And then you have those videos. But people start thinking of, let's throw a lot of money at Facebook ads, let's throw a lot of money at Amazon. But like, that's not necessarily enough. And it's maybe not necessarily the best use of your marketing budget. Well, and here's something really crazy. You can go out there and search for a particular product and find a big national brand and look at their detail page. And sometimes they are just garbage. The listing page might've been created by some retail arbitrage person 15 years ago. They might've taken control and gotten brand registry, but they've never taken the time to actually make the listing look good and add enhanced brand content, Mm -hmm. add the lifestyle photos. So if you've got a private label product that there's some big national brand you're competing against, oh, you can beat them in the algorithm. You just have to optimize your listing, throw a video ad on there, you're going to convert better than some national brand with tens of millions of dollars in advertising budget. Wow. (laughs) I think that's a really good strategy because, yeah, I guess most sellers in the initial parts, not all, but most, I guess, will not have that access to tons of cash to, you know, kind of get their marketing up and running, right? And there's a lot required when you first launch a brand. So once the marketing budget is in place, you kind of figure out which are the channels you're going to be investing in, not just being the only one, but obviously it's also relatively crucial at some level. What's the next mistake to avoid? It's another eggs in one basket, like we talked about before with platforms, but this time it's your vendors and your partnerships. There are, especially with private label sellers, there are sellers who really start to depend on a single manufacturer for their product or a single way of getting their product here if it's coming from another country, a single even distributor relationship where they source most of their goods. That is so dangerous, especially right now with all of the supply chain issues. And Mm -hmm. also, let's face it, no one is perfect. Mistakes get made at all of these levels and you could lose one of those partners and have no one. That is so true. I can't imagine like if manufacturing just stops and then you have a huge backlog, then what do you do, right? How would you recommend going about that? Like, would you then recommend having, say, multiple manufacturers at the beginning that supply help you with your products from the beginning versus just having one person that's kind of sending everything your way? So I think it's really great to find a good contract manufacturer to create your product and test, 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 and make sure it's in great shape. And then once you have a reasonable flow of sales going, not the second time that you order, not when you reorder, but when you're having to restock your product and order a new batch of product, every say two to three months instead of every six months, it's time to find a second contract manufacturer as a backup who knows how to manufacture your product and who can do some runs for you. Because I'm going to give you an example. There was a client of mine selling a vitamin C serum Mm -hmm. and they got a lot of complaints about the serum from customers via Amazon. And when they actually did some testing that was not the in-house testing that had been provided for them by their contract manufacturer. They did some outside testing. There were problems with that vitamin C serum. It had some biological, like some growth of some bacteria, very bad. There was clearly a flaw in the process and they did not have any backup manufacturers. So then they had to start shopping for someone new at a time they were having to recall all their product out of the warehouse. So especially if you have a product that expires a product that could have quality issues. It's super critical to have backup 
I have another client whose uh, manufacturer lost their GMP, their good manufacturing practices certification. Mm -hmm. And so oh. all of a sudden they've got nobody because you have to use GMP certified for certain products. Wow. So having that backup list of companies and actually establishing a relationship beforehand, is definitely going to be obviously a much better investment up front. Having that one partner relationship is a lot easier to manage. But like you said, anything can happen, especially in this day and age. Because I remember the first time when COVID hit, wow, everyone just got like hit real bad. This was what, March 2020? There was like a severe shortage or severe delay, I think between March till like sometime in June. And that kind of gradually got a little bit better over time till today. Right. You don't want any single point of failure. So if you look through your business for single points of failure, that's where you need a backup relationship. Even if you're not ordering from someone right now, have mm -hmm. their contact information, talk to them, know their standards and what their testing is. And, or if it's logistics, know how long it takes for them to onboard a new customer and how quickly they could take your business and just have someone ready that you can pull that trigger if you need to establish a new relationship quickly. Make a note of that, right? Make sure that you have your list of vendors that you've vetted and approved. Make sure you have that. So like Leslie has said, there is no single point of failure in this case. Now, I'm pretty sure there are a lot more mistakes to avoid besides these five that we have listed here. But in the interest of time, what's the fifth mistake that we can avoid as brands and sellers? So this is the one no one wants to hear. So I'm apologizing in advance for bringing it up. <laughs> but a lot of people who are investing in new brands, new product, really trying to develop something that's their very own, whether they're an established business or a new startup, they do not plan for the time required to recoup their investment or to actually start pulling an income, a personal income out of their online business. That's interesting because most people would think that, hey, once I start making some money, I'm going to reinvest in this brand like a lot just so that I can watch it grow and I'll start taking a salary or an income maybe in two years, three years kind of thing. So you're saying that instead it's better to start considering at what point do you start taking some level of income so that you can recoup your initial investment? No, you have to figure out how long you can go without and what your cash flow source is going to be. And let me explain mm -hmm. why. Because once you start getting successful online, especially with your own product, you really do, like you just said, put every dime into ordering more product. Because yep. let's say the first time you order 5,000 units and you sell out, hooray, well, then you better buy 10,000 the next time if it went quickly, right? You're going to do your demand planning and see what you can sell. And then you might order 15 and you might order 20. And really quickly, you are running out of money every month because you're buying new inventory. And then fourth quarter is coming up. What do you think is going to happen in fourth quarter? You have to spend every dime you have plus loans, plus get terms from your manufacturer for Q4. So from September on, most people on Amazon, they don't take a dime, even if they need it, because that is the big season. And yep. I think a lot of people believe, oh, I'm going to at least be able to pull out 10000 a month, 8000 a month and have a good, nice personal income, 100000 I can live off that and then grow my brand to sell. Well, maybe you can, but you're going to grow a lot more slowly and it's not going to be ready for sale as quickly as you're going to want it to be. So it's good to start at some level recognizing that and start establishing that initial goal versus going in there and just kind of winging it. No, I, I, I really like that idea because in some, at some level, you know, it's also good to pay yourself 
at some point, right? Because that way you also see the fruits of your labor, you know, together with the team that you've built, everyone's happy in that sense. And you know that, hey, this thing is actually working. Like you said, brands take time to build up. Not everyone's going to expect to just grow like year on year, like crazy growth, you know, like in year or two, they start selling the brand. It's probably not always going to happen. I mean, not saying that it won, but it definitely does take time. Yes. And it's just important to be eyes wide open and that you're making the choice. I'm going to choose to take this income and not order this additional product that I know will sell. Now, this is one of those problems created by success. If you don't do a great job, you're not going to have this dilemma. If you launch something freaking amazing, it actually makes it harder to decide to take more income instead of putting more in the business. Isn't that crazy? You'd think it would be the other way around. I've known some entrepreneurs who get less tempted. They go down to as little income as they can stand because they want to develop this great brand and like sell it to one of these aggregators out there. So they are willing to live on a shoestring put it all in inventory and logistics right now and build that brand. It's just something to really think about because it doesn't usually go the way you think it's going to go in your head. Nothing ever turns out the way that we expect it to. <laughs> I guess that's the nope. nature of the beast. <laughs> yes. So to recap, at least the top five biggest mistakes that we've talked about in today's interview, right? So the first one is that, first of all, a brand should not limit itself to one platform. So you want to consider diversification having your own storefront like Shopify, for example, and then going on to Amazon or Etsy, depending on demographics that you're selling to. And then the second one is to sell something that no one else is selling. Now, this doesn't just apply to unique products that no one else is selling on the market, but also those is a really good example that Leslie brought up. For example, a Superman bundle, like you sell platform exclusive packages or bundles. So that way people know that if they want X, they will go to Amazon or Etsy and look for that special bundle because they probably wouldn't find it on your store itself. And then on top of that, this is a really important one, and that is planning for a much bigger marketing budget than you think you need. And so I think you had said most people underestimate their marketing budgets by 50%, which is a huge amount, right? So 2x the marketing budget that you have, and not just apply that to ads, but you're also looking at editorial recommendations, product video ads. We're talking about working on your copy, on your SEO content, depending on what you're getting out there. But Having a multi-pronged approach, but choosing which channels or which forms of marketing you want to invest in. And then the fourth one, it's a really good one, is to not rely on one single vendor and partnership. You want to diversify that, not because you don't like your vendor or partner, but anything can happen in business. You want to make sure that your supply chain does not get cut in the middle at some point. There's no single point of failure. Rather, you have people that you can turn to to basically keep the business running and growing. And then the fifth part is to plan how long it takes for you to recoup your original investment. And that means plan on how soon or how long do you want to take before you start paying yourself and over what period of time? Because most people don't necessarily think of that, but it's also good because if you tend to forget, it might affect the way it grows. And even though you're thinking of a big exit, it may not happen for how many years. You can never expect that. So you should start paying yourself at some point just so that you can also reap the rewards and decide, I guess, at that point, what you want to do with the income to see how you want to grow your brand. Did I get it all right, Leslie? Amazing summary, yes. <laughs> I've been taking some notes. I'm pretty sure there's more to it than the five points that we talked about today. Are there any resources or tools or books even that you recommend people to check out? So there's a tool that I super love if you're selling on Amazon. It's called AZ Seller Kits. Mm -hmm. And it is especially great for people who are private label. So a lot of folks don't know their numbers. 
And a lot of what we talked about today is actually about knowing your numbers. It will help you to really understand your profitability ASIN by ASIN or brand by brand. And it has a repricer specifically built for private label products. So you will maximize your margin and never run out of stock. I think it's one of the best tools out there for sellers, especially private label sellers. So that's AZ Seller Kit. Is that correct? Yes. Perfect. AZ Seller Kit. And then is there anything that you wanted to share that's coming up for you that you want to share with other current brand owners or sellers and or possible new brand owners and sellers? I do. We are throwing our very first ever conference and it is going to be in early September. September 6th through 8th in Tampa Bay, Florida. So it will be warm and sunny and beautiful. And it is called the Surge Summit. You can find it at thesurgesummit.com. So excited about it because we are not having like the usual suspects kind of speakers. We have mm -hmm. a wide range of speakers who are really great experts. Our keynote speaker, y'all, is the CFO of Packable, which is the largest seller on Amazon, the largest third-party seller on Amazon. Wow. And he also used to be the CFO of Walmart e-commerce. But lest you think everything is really high, rich, big sellers, we also have a lot of folks talking strategy for small and mid-size. I'm going to be there. My team of ex-Amazonians is going to be there to answer all kinds of questions about Amazon. And we have the entertainment built in. So for the ticket price, we're going to do like a sunset cruise. We're going to do all these what? cool things. We're going to have a throwback 80s arcade. And if that doesn't get you there, I don't know what will. No, I got to look for that <laughs> flight. Okay, when is that again? It's in September. Okay, I got to book myself a flight right now. <laughs> yeah, we're going to have a great time. And there's going to be a lot of networking with people who can really help you grow your business. That's fantastic. And is this going to be just a purely like in-person event? Or is there going to be like a hybrid model where it's like some people can attend it online? We are doing purely in person. We are being nice. brave, taking the plunge of believing that people are going to be ready to leave their houses and come have a good time. Well, I think it's much needed. Considering the amount of conferences that have been skipped or postponed, I think this is much welcome. We are going to have multiple tracks going at a time. So we are going to record all the rooms and then people who attend are going to be able to watch the content from the other rooms afterward. But we really want people to show up and network and be together because we think it, it's isolating to sell online. You could really feel like you're on an island. And I think yeah. this is a great way for people to learn and network and have some fun. Have some fun. It's sunny side warm in Florida. So I don't see why not, right? So that's Surge Summit. That's S-U-R-G-E Summit. So you guys can check that out. This leads to my final question. How can people contact you if they have questions about selling on Amazon, starting their own store, or for example, attending Search Summit? So head over to riverbendconsulting.com and at riverbendconsulting.com, you will also find a phone number so you can submit a form or you could call us. We actually answer our phones. You know, these days, that's not really a thing. Yeah, no, it's like people hide their phone numbers if they can. It's like, don't call me. <laughs> That's right. So we answer our phones to answer your questions, have discussions, see if we can help you in any way we can. And then also, if you go over to LinkedIn and look for Leslie Hensel on LinkedIn, I post fresh content about Amazon almost every day about Amazon and entrepreneurship and business growth, that kind of stuff. So I would love for you to connect with me there, follow me and hit me up if you ever have a question or a problem. 
Very cool. So if you're looking for Leslie, that's Leslie Hensel on LinkedIn, and you can look for her with Riverbend Consulting. And of course, also, as she said, the phone number is there, and you can call them if there's a need to. Well, Leslie, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you. I've had a lot of fun. Me too. And I hope to maybe see you in Florida this year. That would be amazing. That would be amazing. Thank you so much, Leslie, and you take care and have a good rest of your day. You too. All right. And thank you so much for tuning in to the How We Solve show. We work really hard to produce this show to support you and your businesses. Now, we have a small favor to ask of you as a result. If you could check out our show on Apple Podcasts and review the show, we really want to hear your feedback. We love to think that we've earned your five stars, but in any case, just feel free to reach out and share with us your opinions about the show. How We Solve is more than just a show, and we offer a wide suite of services that can accelerate growth and maximize revenue for your business. So check us out on our website at howwesolve.com to learn more. Now, also, if you've ever wished you could highlight podcasts Kindle style and share specific moments, you can now do so using the Clever.fm application. In addition, you can also filter episodes by tags, transcribe the episode live, and click on links to things like books, articles, or definitions as you listen along. You can download the app on iOS or Android now by going to Clever.fm and listen to how we solve for an enhanced experience. Is your e-commerce growing so fast that you can't keep up with supporting your customers in real time? Serve them better in any time zone and language. They will thank you with higher conversion rates and repeat purchases. We build and manage your own dedicated customer experience team of live chat and support agents. Get started today. Visit ltvplus.com. That's ltvplus.com. Thanks for listening to the How We Solve podcast. Dominate your market and crush the competition with our step-by-step -step playbooks. Subscribe right now in your favorite podcast player or visit howwesolve.com.